Hi everyone. Welcome back to Morning with Sai Shantari. Today we have Chris Templeton with us. Chris began developing the Oh, the stories we tell model in 2003, driven by a strong desire to more fully understand the dynamics of his personal and professional relationships. He has been exploring and developing the model ever since. Initially inspired by the power of now, Chris began to understand how his self-talk drove him crazy in some parts of his life. In others, there was no poor story and as a result, no real craziness. After watching Jill Taylor's amazing TED Talk in 2008, the model simply fell together and it all just made sense. Chris has been working to develop the model and put it into writing both in a book, illustrated piece and video ever since. Chris is inspired in his work whether it be the writing of his book consulting with individuals and organizations or simply building his speaking engagements his excitement for how the model can serve others is contagious this inspiration is also driven by how completely the model applies to most personally interpersonal situations throughout our days and deep desire to share our role in creating stories that either serve us or don't and how to move more consistent to authentic stories that serve us for life so hi chris how are you doing hey sean thank you very much for that lovely introduction i am well and really pleased to be here yeah it's it's just that when i was going through your work um i didn't know how to cut the introduction um a bit short because you do so many things and so many things brilliantly that i felt <laughs> that you deserve uh, a big introduction like that well thank you <laughs> I appreciate it. Um so can you tell our listeners um what do you do and um what's your day-to-day life is like? Sure. Um my my day job is um I'm in online marketing. Did have been building websites and um selling interviews and that sort of thing for well a little over 20 years now and in that time around 2003 i read as you mentioned the book uh, oh the story um the book <laughs> the power of now by eckert toll and one of the things that he mentioned in his book was this whole idea basically he said something along the lines of you know we are all really good at driving ourselves insane and it really struck me because i had kind of looked at life as something that was being done to me versus being something that I was creating kind of this place in in my head that that made me feel unhappy and I felt like I was suffering in certain areas of my life and so when I read that it first it was very much of oh my god no that can't be possible to oh I think that is probably exactly what's been going on and so from that time in 2003 I started playing with some questions I came up with some basic concepts which I'd like to share with you in a, a minute or so but what it did for me was changed how I in a really nice and easy way how I spoke with myself the what my self talk was and also as a result helped me to be a much better 
partner with my wife, a much better dad, better at work with uh, colleagues. I just, it made things so much more meaningful, I guess is the best way to put it. And so over the years, over the last 18 years, I've come up with three questions and uh, a resulting model, which you can see at OhTheStoriesWeTell.com, and I'll explain mm -hmm. in a second. Um, yeah, I, I, so that's see, kind of the basics. I see one of your model right and left brain, that's like very popular, right? Yeah, and 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 we won't get into that today, but it, it's popular. And and yet, what my whole focus on in terms of left and right brain is very, very different than kind of what it's been in the past. Which is, oh, if you're creative, you're left-brained, and if you're, you know, more analytical, then you're right-brained. And there's truth to that. But um, really, what the model, what has come from the understanding is that of the left and right brain functionality is that we have one part of our brain, the right side, which is very much connected to everything that is Jill Bolte Taylor called it, uh, your deep, where your deep inner peace circuitry lies. And then the, the right brain is responsible for just making sense of the constant flow of information and that we're processing. And so one of the things that came up for her was she had a stroke and her left side brain shut down, which is responsible for language and, you know, our basically our ability to function on the planet. Mm. And what she was left with, what, and she's, by the way, a brain, a brain scientist. So as she's having the stroke, she recognizes what's happening to her. And when the left side shuts down, she says, it's like, all of a sudden, there's no self-talk, and all the baggage of her years of living disappeared, and she felt like uh, uh, she felt bigger than she could possibly fit in her body, and euphoric, and this deep inner peace circuitry. So, what what for me, the model in terms of left and right brain is really about how to balance the two hemispheres. When we're, when we're suffering and when we're struggling with who we are and why we're on the planet, that's very, very heavily based in the left brain. And when we start to tell stories that balance that out, we find that, you know, when we have meaning in our lives, more meaning, we're not asking what the meaning of life is. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, it definitely does make sense. And you seem like a person who is so well informed about um, how both parts of the brain works and how we can balance them. Um, how um, did you manage to find these secrets out? Was it because of the books you read or the TED Talks you went to or was it from your own experience? Well, I, I think it was all of those. Uh, you know, reading the book really got me to come up with these three questions. And then uh, the rest of the model really fell together once I had seen Joe Bolte Taylor's uh, talk on TED about her stroke of insight. And I had come up with concepts of what I call little me and authentic me and enlightened me. 
as kind of these three personality states that we run in and out of throughout our days. And um, what happened was, I and, and I want to just take a step back and be very clear. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not credentialed in therapy or anything like this. I am completely based on common sense. Nothing of what I'm going to share with you today is... Um, uh, is any kind of a secret. It's just a little bit of a different way of looking at things than I think we do culturally. And so when we start to apply the the three questions, and the three questions are basically, um, and, and if, if you were to take, if the audience were to take a piece of paper and turn it sideways so it's a landscape, and you wrote these three questions down the left side, at the top left corner, what's the story I'm telling? In the middle, uh, uh, on the left side, middle of the page, that's where you would write the second question, which is, "What's this, is this serving me in this moment? Does this story serve me in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? And then the bottom left corner would be the third question, which is, can I tell a more authentic story? And, and so what happened was in playing with I'm these sorry, ideas, sorry, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off, um, but um, just to clarify, what do you mean by authentic stories? Authentic stories? Stories yeah. that are... So if you think about the places that you struggle, and if the audience thinks about the areas that they have really hard times, what we have a tendency to do is to build those stories into bigger monsters, and they cause us to suffer. So if I am struggling with, uh, you know, how I'm putting food on the table or how I'm being treated by my husband, as the case may be, what, I, what we have a tendency to do is tell stories that prove our case and make us even more miserable. And so when you tell authentic stories, what you're doing is you're taking that situation and you're putting it in a different perspective. I may be looking at the perspective of what I need to do earnings-wise. I may be looking at why my, my, why my husband is behaving or wife is behaving the way they are and treating me the way they are. But what I'm doing is I'm telling a more well-rounded story, my thinking. I like, to, I like to call it stories because stories implies that it's changeable, that my thinking is changeable. And really, when it comes right down to it, this is all about how do I change my thinking in an, uh, in an effective way that serves me. And so authentic storytelling is I'm telling a much broader story. I'm telling it from a place of appreciation where I have the ability to not condone necessarily somebody else's behavior, but to put it in perspective and understand that it didn't come out of nowhere and that it's not just about me. When we're telling little me stories, uh, uh, stories that don't serve us, typically we feel like um, they're fear-based, number one. We feel like we're a victim or we feel like we're powerless in the situation that we're in. And when those are the stories, we're very problem-oriented. When we go down to an authentic story, what we do is we're becoming very, very solution-oriented through a process of painting a more broad picture of what the situation I'm looking at is. Whether it's myself, 
or my relationships, whatever the case may be. Does that answer your question about authentic story, what an authentic story is? Yeah, no, it definitely does. Sorry to cut you off. Um, no, no, yeah, that's you, okay. You, you can do. continue with that exercise. So, so anyway, the bottom line is if you take those three questions and you have this piece of paper that's turned sideways, so landscape, question two is on the left middle, and you draw a line across the page horizontal. And so what I say is if you are not telling a story that's serving you, you're above the line. And I call that area little me land. I'm being, I'm in little me land. If I'm telling a story that serves me, I'm below the line and I call that authentic me. My, I'm telling a story that's authentic to the whole situation, not uh, above the line of me being a victim and in fear and powerlessness. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So basically what you're saying is um, in order to make progress, you first have to be true to yourself and not um, exaggerate things. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be true to yourself. And if it deals with other people, true to them. Right. And in other words, if I have um, a, a, a wife that is verbally abusive with me, a big piece of what I need to look at is what got that person there. Like I need to recognize that it didn't just come out of the blue. And the, and the reason that I need to recognize that is because then I'm able to say, well, gee, what are the things that I can do to help my wife or whoever, whoever to come down? Cause this is the other thing that becomes really clear, really quickly is that when you think about this model, my whole goal in life is to spend more time below the line in an authentic place where I'm not suffering, where I'm feeling meaning, where I'm feeling like I have the power and the ability to make change in my life. And so, you know, when I hear that, you, that you're working with uh, or focused on, on women around the world, you know, so much of what I want to see for women is for them to be in an authentic place where they don't feel like a victim. And, and the thing is, this goes right back to the beginning with, with the power of now is we have to recognize our own role and how we make ourselves crazy. And it isn't to say that, that the behavior of a husband or the situation they're in is completely in, in their control, but what is completely in their control is their response. Um, so, but what if the woman, they are actually the victim in, in, in their stories? So how can they be below the line? Um, this is a great, yeah. great question. I want to share a quote with you. Um, there's a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl, who was a Jew that was in the concentration camps um, during World War II. And he, through that entire experience, watched how many people gave up on life and how many of them died or how many of them were, you know, just crushed for life. And for some reason, he was able to maintain his own personal dignity and his own meaning in life. And he then, after he got out and the war was over, he became a psychiatrist. And, and this quote is from him, and it's my favorite quote. 
hands down between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so the thing is, is even though he was the victim of the Nazis and in this concentration camp, he somehow recognized that he had the power to not let the way he was being treated become his reason for giving up and 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 letting go of his life in essence uh he's one of the other things he said is everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. So what the reason I bring him up and because I think it's really important to understand that as awful as some of the situations that these women are in, they still can take back the power of their choice and their attitude and how they're going to move forward. And what I always, always want especially for women in these situations, is for them to be able to recognize that they have the power to change their perceptions from ones that are feelings of victimization and fear, and and rightfully so. Nobody's saying, and I'm certainly not saying that, you know, women in really tough situations don't have a good reason to have fear and to, you know, to feel like victims, because in many ways they are. But in their own minds, what I want these women to know is you have the choice of how you're going to respond to any circumstance. And I want to help you to recognize that you can take back the power of who you are by just recognizing when you're telling stories about a situation that don't serve you versus stories that do. And, and Sean, there, there are going to be people that, that resonate with this and there are going to be other people that don't. And, and, you know, I wish everybody could, but the ones that do will walk away saying to themselves, oh my, I had no idea of the power I have in defining who and what I am. But as long as we're stuck above the line in that little me land, we feel stuck. We feel like victims. And that is the first thing that anybody needs to change, including myself, you, anybody on the planet that's, that's struggling with anything. That's the first place that needs to be um, addressed. You know, you know, when I'm identifying whether a story um, served me or not, or whether I'm below the line or above the line, mm-hmm. um, um, I, I feel it also depends on the emotions of the person like if uh, um, they have a negative mindset um, they will always feel that they are the victim even even they even if they are not and maybe that's why it would be hard for them to progress whereas yes. on the other hand if you are if you have a positive mindset and even if you are a victim um, you would have enough courage to maybe um, just go through life and um, get through it um, so what do you think about that I, I think it's a really, really good question, and here's why. One of the things you'll notice about those three questions, 
what's the story I'm telling? Is it serving me in this moment? And is there a more authentic story I can tell? The one word that is not in there and purposely so is emotions. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they're not there is because what we know that emotions are going to trigger us to recognize that there's an issue. But so many people say, I, I have no hope. I'm hopeless. Well, that's an emotion. And so what I think is for people who feel stuck in being a victim and negative emotions, the reason that this model is so, so important is because it gives you a way to put emotions aside for just a minute and say, can I find a more authentic story about the situation I'm in that will serve me? And if I can do that, then my emotions, if I can move below that line into an authentic place, my emotions automatically are in a better place. I may still be frustrated, but I'm not angry or rageful. I may still be happy, but I'm in a more contented place below the line. And so from my standpoint, what's so important about this is, and, and they, is that when we step away from emotions as being kind of the first place that we want to resolve, it makes it so much easier because then I, I can say, hey, what is a more authentic story I can tell? I have three kids I love. My husband uh, may be really, really difficult, but I'm going to work to provide a place where he doesn't feel that need, where he's less likely to want to go there. And so that's the other thing that you mentioned is positive thinking. I, this is not about positive thinking. You know, what we're not saying is, hey, just put a Band-Aid on it, pretend everything's okay, because that never works and we only end up suffering more. So with this approach, I'm looking at a more authentic story that allows me then as a result to be in a better place emotionally where I don't feel like a victim I don't feel like I'm always problem-oriented, but now can move to a place of a solution orientation, and that's really, really what that's about. Um, so, Chris, you talked about hopelessness. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I want to ask that um, those women who are, and, and let's take an example of Afghanistan. And, okay. you, you know, uh, women over there, they are dependent on men for um, taking care of their needs, um, they are not allowed to work. Um, they don't have any money. Um, so, of course, if um, if I, I was a woman in Afghanistan right now, I would feel hopeless. Um, sure. So, how can those women stand for themselves or do something to re have, have a voice for themselves at least? Because, well, uh, and, and I'm saying this because. At, at at this point, it's it feels like the hopelessness is not in their minds, but there is actually hopelessness for them. Yes, I I I, I completely agree, and I I don't pretend to have um, all the answers for that. But here are the kinds of things that I have heard, and that I I think are um, important. If I have, if I can be below the line. I can say I have to deal with, as a woman and with my children, 
um, a society where men feel that they are above women and that they, uh, you know, need to be kept in a place where they're not educated, where uh, the kids are kept in line, that sort of thing. And there's a tremendous amount of fear. And I am not denying that. And this is why I'm so adamantly against just positive thinking. Like we need to be in a situation where these people are honest about what's going on. It is a horrible, horrible thing. But when I move into authenticity in, in my stories about what's going on and my thinking about what's going on, what I'm able to do is talk to other women. You know, what are the things that we can say to our husbands that'll help to, to create clarity about what is going on around us and their role in helping to protect us? What are the things that we can do to educate our girls so that they will be better and to educate our boys so that they won't follow the same path that so many men in Afghanistan are following? So, I, and, and think about that, Sean. Think about the difference in the way that you lay it out versus what I'm suggesting. It doesn't mean by any stretch that all of a sudden these fundamentally religious men necessarily change their behavior overnight. Mm -hmm. But what I've got is I've got hope. I have a sense of agency. I have a focus on why being authentic has the ability to make a difference, to teach my children, especially my boys, how they need to behave. So, so what I'm not saying is, gee, Sean, if you follow this model, if, if women in Afghanistan follow this model, everything's going to be okay. I'm not saying that for one second. But what I am saying is they can get the meaning back in their lives when they start to tell authentic stories, when they recognize that it is impossible for any of these religious fundamentalists to do the hideous things that they do from an authentic place. That's the other beauty of this, this model is it helps me to put into perspective other people's behavior, doesn't it? Like I can go, Oh my God, that person, those, those men who behave so awfully are so far from authenticity. And I recognize that. So those are some of the things that I think begin to create movement for women in situations like that. And it's slow. Boy, it's been big, big steps backwards and it just breaks my heart. But I want more than anything else for women in those situations to have a sense of hope and it lies within them, not outside of them. Um, so you think, and and I honestly agree with you that at, at some point um, it is, the parents' responsibility as well to educate um, and proper properly nurture their boys um, yeah. in order to make sure that once they grow up, um, they respect women and take care of them and uh, just just um, take them as humans instead of uh, considering them as their property. And you know what? Here's the thing, Sean. There's no way that can be done 
uh, in Little Me Land above the line. The only place for that to happen and why it's so important that women in, in countries like Afghanistan understand the power of what I'm suggesting is they then begin to do the things to help their children and hopefully their husbands and their neighbors. And I, I mean, I know it's just, it's got to be a hugely scary place to be. Um, but to have a sense that they can begin to bring change. Hmm. Um, so, so Chris, do, do you also provide some pers personal um, coaching programs for, for people? And if yes, how can people reach out to you? Yes. Yeah, so I, yes, I do. And I'm not, it's not coaching per se. I, I'm not a coach, but what I, what I do help people do is to look at their lives through this model so that they have a greater sense of agency, a greater sense of empowerment and, you know, understand that, you know, living below the line is, is a much better place to be, excuse me. So, uh, they can, uh, message me on Facebook. They can go to, Oh, the stories we tell.com. And, uh, there's a contact form shortly. There'll be a consulting, uh, set up that people can click on to, to do that. If you know anybody that is struggling with being filled with fear, a victim in their lives, uh, what my goal is to help them to do is to see another way forward. Um, no, you're right. And so, so how, how can people reach out to you, um, your website, your contact? Yeah, the website, ohthestorieswetell.com. And there's a contact form and my phone number's on there. So they can they can get, uh, and, and the phone number on there is for texting as well as cell. So anybody can contact me that way. Yeah, and just before going off here, is there any last advice you want to give to the woman who must be maybe in um, abusive relationship or um, are not living below the line? You know, I just want you to know that there's hope and the, the primary place to look for that hope is within yourself to find a place where you move from fear to a sense of curiosity, a sense of, uh, empowerment as minor as it may be, you can do that. And it's the only place to really start, especially if you're in a situation like Afghanistan, it has to start internally. Um, that's just so true. Um, thank you. Thank you, Chris, for being on our podcast. And I'm pretty sure that just by talking to you, I've learned so many things, which I can definitely imply in my, in my own life. So I'm uh, hoping that the people who are listening must have taking some very nice lessons from this podcast as well. So thank you for I, sharing all that with us. I, it is my pleasure. I encourage you to go to ohthestorieswetell.com. Also go to YouTube um, and search for Oh, the Stories We Tell, and you'll see a little logo come up that says Oh, the Stories We Tell in it. And there's some really solid videos there also that are working with a woman on how um, she's kind of learning to negotiate some of these things. So it, it's very a very good place to go as well. And Sean, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Take care.
Take care now.